Definitely a unique differentiator for us is that all of our salespeople who represent our clients are fully dedicated. So the moment that they start working on that client, that is their full-time job. And so that enables those reps to have a number of advantages. One is because they're white labeled, they're changing their LinkedIn profile, represent that client, their email signature and email address to that client. So for all intents and purposes, they are the client. It also accelerates knowledge because if you're fractionally dedicated, you're never becoming an expert at anything. It increases velocity. And then just personally, like the switching costs of going from one pitch to the next and one system to another are just so detrimental to someone's ability to perform at the levels that we expect from our sales teams. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Jaron Vosberg. Jaron is the Vice President of Sales at Jump Crew. And in our conversation, Jaron and I talk about a new model for B2B sales, one that's worth thinking about and talking about because that model is outsourcing your sales function completely. I mean, companies routinely outsource mission critical functions today. Why not sales? So we dive into what that model would look like for a company that wants to go down that path and how sellers in that model are hired and onboarded and managed and measured. We also dig into whether this type of arrangement is the future of sales, where for many companies, you know, they can sort of stop pretending that they're really investing in the development of their professional sales organization and outsource the function to true professionals. After all, companies already routinely outsource critical IT, engineering, accounting, HR, customer support, and other functions to those who can do it better. Why not sales? It's worth considering. So all this and much, much more. But before we get to Jaron, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Jaron, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Andy. Glad to be here. A pleasure to have you here. So um, you're joining us from where? Nashville? We are in Nashville. That's where Jump Cruise HQ'd. I'm actually from East Tennessee, a few hours away originally, but Nashville has exploded in the past couple of years. It's become infamous for bachelor and bachelorette parties, but it's great for a lot of other reasons. Um, So we've been here for four years now, my wife and I have, after having a stint in Denver and then being in LA before that. Yeah. So we're in East Tennessee. Outside of Knoxville, a little town called Oak Ridge. Had about 20,000 people when I was there. Oak Ridge is famous for being yeah. a secret city. Yeah, if you may have yes. heard of that before. And also the uh, birthplace of Megan Fox. So those are our two claims to fame. Okay, so a nuclear power laboratory and Megan Fox. Got it. That's so, right. Yeah, I, I've told the story once. Somebody else I interviewed on the show is from Tennessee is that, that uh, I almost grew up there. So <laughs> just I think it was right... By the time I was born, my dad was sort of uh, was sort of a rising executive at, at the company as that, which actually was Oscar Mayer, and um, he was sort of frustrated that he wasn't you know being promoted fast enough. So he did the hey leverage thing. He went out and found another job, and said hey I'm going to leave and go to this company unless you promote me. And the job was uh, with Eastman Chemicals actually <laughs> in Knox in Knoxville, Tennessee. Wow, what a 180 from Oscar Mayer. Yeah, well, they made uh, food packaging, so there was it was related. But um, yeah, could have been, could have grown up in that city. So well, anyway, we'd love to have you. Yeah, well, was, that, that's the prototypical Midwestern upbringing. So it was it was fine. You, you I think you uh, would have almost doubled the population of Oak Ridge had you moved here. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I don't think we were smart enough as a family to be there. But anyway, tell us about Jump Crew. I mean, I, yeah, so, when I, when I, so when, when just some background, you know, when the, uh, I don't know whether you reached out directly or somebody, one of your company at your company reached out about what you guys are doing. I thought, all right, this is fascinating. I want to, I want to hear more about this. So give us a little background on Jump Crew. Sure. No, happy to. So Jump Crew has been around for five years. Um, we were actually a spinoff of another organization that was based in New York called Local Box, And the founding team of Jump Crew was instrumental in helping that company to grow. It was ultimately acquired by the Blackstone Group. And then they had an opportunity to, to pause and reflect and figure out what their next venture was going to be. And one of their observations from their time at Local Box was that a lot of the companies they were working with um, just could not figure out how to systematically create revenue. It's obvious that that's pretty important. That's um, a problem, yeah. Challenge. Um, they could get top of funnel activities going, but getting those to actually follow through all the way to dollars and cents was a huge challenge. Um, and so the concept of there being a standalone organization whose entire responsibility was creating revenue and really every step of the funnel from brand awareness to driving the lead to then actually converting that lead to a close, that idea was born. And that was the genesis of, of Jump Crew. So they started with a handful of people in a co-working space here in Nashville mm -hmm. um, back in 2016. And since then, we've grown to about 350 employees. Um, we've opened up a new HQ here in September um, with 60,000 square feet of space. And, you know, our model really manifests itself in two ways. Um, when you think about that funnel, there's the, the digital component, which is how mm -hmm. can we get prospects to put their hand up and say, hey, I'm interested in learning more about this. So we conceptualize the strategy, build it, execute it, and then optimize it. And then the flip side of the coin, and I'd say really Jump Crew's bread and butter, is turnkey white-labeled sales teams that are fully dedicated to our clients that are white labeled as our clients and help to right. field that digital demand and then ultimately convert it into opportunities or deals. Sounds so simple when you say it that way. So, um, yeah, so this whole idea, I, and we're going to dig into this, is of outsource sales as sort of a harbinger of the future of sales, I think is really interesting to talk about. So, so what, under what circumstances do companies want to hire you? Because, I mean, I understand... You know, startups, uh, they find it more cost-effective, capital-efficient to, to outsource the whole thing. Um, may ramp faster than they would if they're trying to do internally, but also then you work with a lot of established companies as well. So, so give us some use cases. Sure, dude. That's a great question. There's a couple of key use cases that we've seen. One is the startup environment where they've got a product. Maybe they have a seed round of funding. They're ready to go to market, and maybe the founding team just doesn't have the interest, resources, or capital to do it themselves. And so they'll turn to someone like Jump Crew to actually conceptualize the entire go-to-market strategy and build the entire playbook to, to help them I mean, launch. even if they have a marketing team? So the marketing teams are collaborators of ours. Um, you know, they'll help to guide the strategy. We'll collaborate as a sounding board and help to bring in some experience from a number of different industries that we support. And then mm -hmm. we can apply that expertise to help guide their strategy and execute on it. So that's been a huge part of us is that ability to collaborate and clearly define swim lanes, roles and responsibilities and not step on toes. So that's definitely a use case, you know, Jump Crew's model being really that integrated digital and sales component has definitely been a huge differentiator for us. And so companies at that stage need both for sure. And so we can plug and play there. Mm -hmm. um, another use case is companies that have product market fit, have sold their product before, um, have seen some things that are working well, but know that there's opportunity that they're 
not capitalizing on and maybe just aren't sure exactly how to capitalize on that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that's a really great place for us to plug in. They usually have key resources already allocated to taking care of one responsibility or another discipline, but they turn to junk crew to say, hey, we've got all these leads sitting in this bucket and they're collecting dust or this legislation just passed and we want to capitalize on such opportunity, but we can't hire mm-hmm. fast enough. So they'll use us in that in that scenario. And I'd say the other, and you know, kind of these broad, but the other would probably be sure. um, when they've got something that they know is just working really well and they just got to pour gasoline on the fire. And so right. they need somebody who's got the infrastructure in place, the technology, personnel, leadership experience to actually go in, take a playbook that they know is working, execute on that playbook with velocity, and then inevitably learn pretty quickly about how to fine tune it and make it work even better. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So in that last scenario, you're talking about describing a situation where you're coming in as a, an adjunct to an existing sales team. I was wondering how that works out from a, <laughs> I don't know, human nature is such that people get a little territorial. And yeah. uh, I just wondering what your experience has been with that. Definitely. I have that conversation all the time. I mean, I'm a salesperson at heart and territorial is a good word for it. Like I want to close my business. I don't want anyone getting in my business. That's right. Um, So I like to think about it and how can we be supporting your current sales team. So oftentimes my recommendation will be for us to start in more of an SDR capacity so that we can be building pipeline for account executives because any account executive isn't going to complain if they're getting more qualified opportunities thrown over the wall. That creates a pretty strong relationship from day one. The other is if we're responsible for more of a closing role, I like to clearly define either geographic territories and then that way reps don't think, well, hey, I'm working the Southwest and now people are in my territory. Let's literally define it geographically. Um, And then the other is in untapped opportunities in the market. Those are oftentimes not yet communicated to the sales team. And so sales Mm -hmm. leaders may say, I got to keep my AEs focused on what's working. I don't want to distract them by introducing this new opportunity that we as the organization have identified. So let's go to someone like Jump Crew and and let them loose to go actually pull the curtain back and see what we can do here while my AEs focus on hitting their their current goals. Interesting. So do companies ever I mean contract you like on a permanent basis or is this like always sort of a transitional role at some point? I mean, some companies just say, look, we're never going to have a sales team, and this is great. You know, as long as these guys are producing, that's fine. Definitely. Yeah, I'd say permanent is a good way to think about it. We are a long-term partner. Um, You know, we are not a for-hire mercenary contract work that'll do just a couple of months and then we're out. You know, we're definitely in it for the long haul. Um, I would say that there are some scenarios in which founder has no interest in building out their own sales team and has just Mm -hmm. decided from day one, I'm just going to enlist a team like Jump Crew to just be my revenue engine. You know, I can think of a couple of examples where from the jump, single founder said, I want you for both the marketing component and sales, and we've been with them for over two and a half years. Um, so that happens a lot. That permanence of working is really our goal long-term because inevitably mm-hmm. we're only going to identify more opportunities where Jump Crew can step in and help to build momentum. Yeah. Interesting. I mean... I can see all sorts of, I mean, I imagine those, well, let me ask the question. And so in those scenarios, is there often a VP of sales in place? And if so, <laughs> what happens to them? Yeah. In those scenarios, probably not. Um, right. If we're going to be the whole kit and caboodle, chances are right. pretty good. You've got a couple founders with great tech that are ready to rock and roll. But I'd say other than that scenario, that use case, 
we're usually talking to VPs of sales. That's usually our point of contact when we're exploring new partnerships. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, their ultimate responsibility is putting dollars on the board. And if they feel that Jump Crew can help them do that more effectively than the resources or time that they have on their own, then we plug and play pretty well. Interesting. Well, so it really comes down to it. It seemed to me as I was, you know, looking at what you're doing and, and reading up and researching it is that, and this was, I always felt this was the case when I would, in my sales consulting business, when I was doing this more regularly back a number of years ago, a few years ago, was, was qualifying the client mm-hmm. because yeah, lots of people need help in sales, but you know, no product market fit, the you know, product doesn't live up to expectations, whatever. I can go down a list of things. So how do you, how do you qualify your clients in those regards? What's your due diligence, I guess? That has evolved so much over the past couple of years because I've been at Jump Crew for four years now. So, I, I mean, I've been here since we would have sold to a chair if it would sign my contract and we wouldn't have really thought much about it. But now... <laughs> Typical small company arc, yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but now, you know, we're getting to the point over the past couple of years where we have to be really particular about who we work with for a number of reasons. One, so that we can actually do what we said we we're going to do mm-hmm. and do it effectively. Um, you know, we're allocating a lot of personnel, time and resources to these accounts. And so we got to make sure that there's a really good fit there. So my team's job is, I'd say, equal parts selling and equal parts, just pure qualification, making mm-hmm. sure that we're connecting the right dots. And so there's some criteria that we're looking for. I'd be lying if I said that if you've never sold your product before, the Jump Crew is the best fit in the world, unless we're setting right. very conservative expectations about right. what we think is going to happen. This is not a flip the light switch on and everything works. Right. Any sales right. leader knows that. Like We're more so the team that's going to figure out what problems we have to solve. And so our partners that understand that and are invested in that exploration, then that's fine. But I'd say more often than not, having some historical sales is important. And also, it's going to boil down to ROI at some point when someone's making an investment in Jump Crew, understanding if there's a reasonable path to ROI. So that helps give us some parameters around which, you know, hey, if your product is 10 bucks a pop and you think you're only going to sell 100 of those a month, it might not be a clear path to ROI for you with Jump Crew. So that helps us to build some parameters purely from an annual contract value or lifetime value of that potential new customer that we would bring on board um, categorically has definitely been a new qualifier for us. Over the years, we certainly start to identify, hey, maybe there's some industries where our model just isn't as good of a fit as it is in others. Um, we've seen that the spaces that are great for Jump Crew is you know, SaaS, um, anything that software as a service is great for right. us. Media, um, ad sales has just been an absolute home run. And interestingly enough, over the past... Uh, past maybe two years or so, automotive, um, interestingly enough, has kind of floated to the top as a category for us. And as, then the other, wait, 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 wait. Automotive as meaning for dealers? That's been a part of it. Yeah, it just depends. Um, so some of it's software, some of it's direct relationships with dealers. Um, it's been a really unexpected industry that's worked for us. And as we've had more and more experience in it, it's kind of dovetailed into more opportunities in that space. So um, it's been really interesting to observe that. And then, you know, on the flip side of the coin, there's industries where, you know, maybe we're just not a great fit. Um, I would say healthcare is a big challenge for anybody selling into healthcare. We know that Um, they've built that to be a gatekeeper 
um, you know, central. Uh, it's very mm-hmm. difficult to get in the actual decision makers. Um, finance, depending on what it is, um, can be tricky. We don't do Perfect. B2C. Um, no one really answers phone calls on their cell from numbers they don't recognize. So right. nobody wants to deal with that. Um, there's a couple other ones, but that's really helped us to crystallize our focus. And so when my team's having conversations about a new potential partner, they can really use that criteria and help to connect the dots with that process of industry, annual contract value, lifetime value, um, historical conversion rates, and then um, you know their investment in Jump Crew and help us model out what an ROI might actually look like over time. Yeah. So you're going to agree on revenue targets as part of the contract then? Uh, no, it's all speculative. Um, you know, that's part of the business. Right. Sales, yeah, sales okay. and marketing is an unknown. It's, you know, there's a lot of things we're going to have to figure out. And I'd sure. argue that any company that guarantees results in sales has something a little squirrely going on in the background. Well, I agree. That's why I was asking the question, because it's like, how do you manage or set expectations then? So you give yourself sort of a period, I presume it sounds like, hey, we're going to come in for the first X number of days and we're going to do our due diligence and analyze it. And then we'll sit down and talk about expectations before we really get started. Yep. Expectations is key. Um, having historical data is helpful because we want at the very least for Jump Crew to be initially a lateral move. So, because we don't want us to be performing any less than your current team is, that doesn't make any Correct. sense for anybody. Um, so, let's make it at least a lateral move. And then our team's responsibility, we have um, what we call sales delivery. So, that's once we've actually brought a client on board, they are the leadership and support personnel that actually stand these teams up on behalf of our partners. And so Mm -hmm. they're responsible for leveraging their experience across dozens and dozens and dozens of sales teams of different objectives, different industries, different KPIs, and applying their feedback on what they think is a reasonable month one, a reasonable month two, reasonable Mm -hmm. month three. And oftentimes when those expectations are put in front of us, we'll probably cut them in half just for the sake of the exercise and say, you know, if we're on this ultra conservative low end, knowing there's plenty of upside, how right. can we manipulate this in a way that we think there's a clear path? And the partners that, you know, have been with Jump Crew for the longest and who understand that modeling know that they're trusting an organization that's going to mitigate their risk while also mm-hmm. identifying opportunities for it to, for yeah, for it to grow. And that's yep. really the, the key value there is, you know, I, I could do my own taxes, but I, I don't because I trust an expert to actually do it. I'm probably going to make it's a correct. lot more mistakes. If my car starts smoking, I could pull over and try to fix it. But right. chances are pretty good. I'm just going to make it worse. So I take it to an auto shop. So when you start an engagement, is is are you applying sellers then full time to a client or do they timeshare themselves among various clients that you have? It's definitely a unique differentiator for us is that all of our salespeople who represent our clients are fully dedicated. So from to the one moment, client, for to instance. one client. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So the moment that they start working on that client, that is their full time job. And so that enables those reps to have a number of advantages. One is because they're white labeled, they're changing their LinkedIn profile to represent that client, their email signature and email address is that mm-hmm. client. So for all intents and purposes, they are the client. Um, it also accelerates knowledge because if you're fractionally dedicated, you're never becoming an expert at anything. Um, It increases velocity. Um, And then just personally, like the switching costs of going from one pitch to the next and one system to another um, are just so detrimental to someone's ability to perform at the levels that we expect from our sales teams. Yeah. So, and that makes total sense. So how long does it take to sort of onboard your team into a new situation? 
Well, I would argue even for the clients that we've been with for you know years now, we're constantly learning. So there's the inevitability of things pivoting and evolving all the time. But I'd say right from the jump, our teams typically set the expectation that from signature of an agreement, we're going to start rocking and rolling on this. About 45 days later is when the sales teams will actually start because that time is critical for us to be able to integrate the two organizations. This is not a light switch where we just put a phone in someone's hand and say, go. We have to, in essence, become that partner. We have to integrate with systems and tools. We have to collect branding guidelines. We have to understand the objections. We got to build out the ICP, the ideal uh, client persona. So that work takes time. And so during those 45 days or so, um, our teams are conducting individual breakout sessions that are designed deliberately to focus on each of those disciplines from operations to paid media. What type of support are these reps going to actually have? Are they doing solely cold outbound or are they fielding warm inbound leads? How does the pitch Mm -hmm. change in those two different scenarios? We're building out sales scripts and cadences in the tools that we're using. We're building comp plans and expectations for KPIs and quotas. Um, And so it takes a little bit of time. We jokingly call our our onboarding process the hardest working honeymoon you're ever going to have because it's, it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So I know you know. Yeah, well, I'm, but the thing that's really interesting about that is when you think about it, you say, okay, we're going to do 45 days, <clears throat> excuse me, 45 days from signature. It's like, hmm, if you could do that, you know, and all you do this repeatedly with all your different clients, you think about yeah, companies that aren't outsourcing, building and scaling their own teams that just get stuck, right? And like it's like chapter and verse of companies that can't get their shit together in 45 <laughs> days to do substantially less than that. So it's almost like, Wow, wouldn't it be cool to bring somebody in just to do this part for us? <laughs> no doubt. And and look, I say 45 days till the sales team is really launched. But as you know, I mean, that's really the beginning at that point. That 45-day mark is when things really begin because then with any sales team, you, you have to factor in a ramp, a pretty conservative ramp timeline for them to get in the weeds to start um, figuring out like what they do and don't actually know um, for us to navigate the nuance of the pitch and hear objections that we haven't heard before for us to identify mm-hmm. gaps in the flow from raw lead to you know MQL to SQL to opportunity and so on. So, um, you know, we typically say let's factor in about 90 days of ramp, assuming that 90 days is when they're at 100 percent capacity. Oftentimes we'll see them start hitting it a lot sooner. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. It it just fluctuates. But that's really the advantage of you've got a team of people here who have done this time and time and time again who can make those expert recommendations about how to avoid the blind spots that people may not know about, how to capitalize on opportunity really quickly. It definitely empowers us to accelerate that process. And do you ever do anything like a, and this, because I was thinking back in past in my experience where uh, some of these big complex communication systems overseas and often we'd get in the countries where you'd have to do a build, operate, transfer model. So we'd, you know, build their, these networks for them. We'd operate for a period of time. Then we'd, you know, transfer it to local control. Do you ever do that where you, you know, build this up for somebody and then like your whole team just stays with that company? Where the dedicated sales team will just stay yeah, with dedicated the, team just becomes employees of that company, or do they ever want to do that? You know, I get that question every so often. It's not really our model. Um, we find that most of our partners will stick with us for as long as they possibly can, just to keep the the consistency, the predictability. Um, mm-hmm. I have admittedly seen some scenarios in which, after a couple of years. 
clients of ours will say, all right, hey, it's been amazing. Thanks for helping us to really figure out what this thing's going to be. Our organizational priorities have changed and we're going to bring this in-house. And we gladly mm-hmm. shake hands and say, great, it's been great working with you and we wish you the best of luck. That that does happen. And to be frank with you, like I think that's probably the best compliment we can receive is when, when that happens after a while. And it, it does take a while, but um, we've definitely seen that it's usually not till a couple years down the road when they're ready to actually make that jump. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Well, I mean, so let's let's get into this topic about, you know, is this represent to some degree the future of B2B sales? I mean, it's yeah, I'll just ask the question, why why does a company need to have and this is, you know, well, hyperbolic, but I mean, why does a company need to have its own salespeople? Why not just always outsource it? To be honest, I don't know. I mean, let me fill in a couple of points. Because sure. you know, we know companies aren't investing in training their sales managers. We know that uh, yeah, across the board, B2B sales performance has not been great the last five, 10 years. Doesn't seem to be getting a whole lot better. Um, it's suddenly there's a lot of attractions for a white label model like yours. Something, a factor that's a little... Um, I don't know. It's not super concrete, but is is cultural. Um, I've seen that cultural factors can come in. Hey, we've decided this something we just want to build internally for cohesion and organizational. That that's a factor that comes into play, and it's not really performance based, just a cultural decision. Um, but we're definitely seeing now, especially right now, as companies are realizing that it's incredibly difficult to recruit and hire and retain mm-hmm. top sales mm-hmm. talent. We have seven full-time recruiters. We get 800 applications every single week on our open sales roles. We have a huge pipeline of candidates that we're custom matching to accounts that we're bringing in to make sure mm-hmm. that their experience and competencies match that. That is a huge lift in and of itself. And then not only that, once they're in the organization, actually having a plan in place, a department that's dedicated to learning, development, and growth, and helping to chart out a career trajectory for those individuals to see where they're going, that's right. critical as well. And some people just, I mean, I don't I don't blame you, but like some people just don't have the interest in building that, modeling that out, and then, and then following through with it during the life cycle of having a rep. So definitely personnel is a huge factor there. Um, and from a technology perspective, technology expertise can be difficult. We have all the technology in-house, and so shopping around for tech and getting a bunch of proposals and paying a premium for that technology as maybe a small or growing company, figuring out how to use it, making sure someone's trained or certified on that technology and can actually apply it to the vision for that sales team can definitely be really tricky. Um, strategic, um, we are able to apply our experience across mm-hmm. dozens of different accounts so we can see it from a 30,000 foot perspective instead of driving right down on the road. So being able to apply right. learnings cross vertically um, to the account that we're working on is a unique advantage that we have that, that definitely is a, um, something our clients capitalize on. So there's probably a number of other reasons, um, but we've definitely seen a huge trend this year that the appetite for something like a jump crew has only continued to increase as organizations are feeling the pain of some of those pain points. Yeah, and so I look at it as I, again, think about this in preparation for this conversation is, is I, and I just alluded to it, you know, one of the big problems that exists in most companies is they don't invest in their managers. You know, they expect the managers to be enabled with, just by virtue of having a title, of having these skills to be good managers, good coaches, know how to coach performance, um, and they don't. They don't have that. It's not their fault. They've just they've never been trained, and companies don't seem to have an appetite to really 
develop <laughs> this group of people who are so important in the development of the individual contributors. And so I could see it's like, yeah, I mean, if I were a salesperson, you, know, you go to work for most companies and you could say just loosely that it's a professional sales organization. Whereas this is what you guys do. You are a professional sales organization. Um, and I think for a seller, wow, that'd be a much better place to work because that's your job. And, you know, and as you said, you've got learning development department, you know, all these things going on to support people becoming better at selling. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get that in most companies. And most companies, as I said, don't prioritize making that happen. That's a great perspective. I, I mean, we try to think about it as a um, kind of like a, a baseball farm league in a way where, you know, new reps that come into the organization go through a 12-week program we call Jumpstart. Um, that mm-hmm. helps to get them acclimated in the environment, um, get mm-hmm. used to the way in which we do things, um, mm-hmm. our philosophies, our processes, the culture here at Jump Crew. And then ultimately, when they graduate from that program, they're eligible then to be assigned to an account. Um, we're hiring reps net new um, who have to come in and, and are typically excited about the opportunity to be in an organization where they could be selling product A uh, next to their peer who's selling product A. And then two seats down, there's someone who's selling product B who every single phone call they get off of, they can quickly share tips, tricks, learnings, failures, all there in real time. And I think that that has been one of the singular um, most um, uh, like uh, cohesive parts about the organization is that we're all bound by that love of sales, um, regardless of what it is that you're selling. And we've seen reps that have started in the Jumpstart program are now sales directors that are supporting a handful of clients, a handful of managers, and have had the opportunity to get their hands in different verticals, different problems, different objectives, different sales teams, navigating through that over the course of, you know, sometimes just a year or two because of the growth that we've had at Jump Crew, we're creating roles that didn't exist to help to um, support the growth there. So it creates a lot of interesting opportunities for people coming into the organization. Yeah. Well, I mean, you described a scenario that, that, yeah, I think for a lot of professional sellers, if they, shifted their perspective a little bit, think, wow, I mean, here's, here's, you know, potential future career within an organization that I said is a professional sales organization <laughs> and is, is equipped to enable the sellers, is equipped to provide them a variety of experiences, um, you know, selling to different type of industries, different type of products, the type of things that, that actually, yeah, I think at least in my case, and I think for most sellers, are very motivating. It's not just the money; it's doing interesting work, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I could I could see that be very attractive. I mean, I and can, that's why I think it's that's why I think it sort of is the future of sales is is to some degree is yeah. You know, if companies aren't going to get serious about is that really investing in development of their sales capabilities, which very few are, then wow, here's one way to do that. I can speak from my own experience too, Andy. When I started at Jump Crew, I had never had a traditional sales role. I had never had a quota bearing, KPI measured sales role. Mm-hmm. And so that was really intimidating to me to now be a frontline salesperson selling Jump Crew, working in Salesforce, having KPIs, having a quota that was all new. And that was in October of 2017. By mm-hmm. July of 2018, I had the opportunity to move and become a manager of a household name account. 
And I had obviously only barely had a year of sales experience under my belt, but I was fortunate that they thought I was ready to take this on. I certainly didn't think I was ready. Um, I was terrified. But you're kind of thrust mm-hmm. into that environment where you you learn by way of of being thrown into the fire, um, yeah. literally trial by fire. Um, and that's really exciting for, for reps that are looking for something that offers um, more of a unique experience for salespeople. And, you know, like all every organization, you know, we've certainly had to um, adjust in the COVID world. And, um, you know, we have reps now that a lot of which are in Nashville, I'd say about 65% of our dedicated mm-hmm. sales reps are here in Nashville, many of whom we uh, are fortunate enough to have come into the office um, Tuesdays through Thursdays for the most part, but we obviously have remote work as well during the week. And the other 35% or so are remote workers that are all across the United States but are part of the Jump Crew ecosystem. So it's almost like we're slowly moving into this world where Jump Crew could become this, this global sales community. And it's something we've definitely talked about as the vision for the future. So here's a question for you is, do you pay commission? We sure do. Yep, all of our reps have base plus commission. And it, they're all on the same plan, regardless of which client they work for? Plans are different on a client-by-client basis. The OTE usually lands in about the exact same place, depending on seniority experience and the and the position. But um, yeah, every account is a little unique. Um, and that's one of the challenges we certainly have, but something that we've gotten better at navigating is every time we bring in a new partner, we're essentially creating a new startup within Jump Crew. And we're just right. doing this time and time and time and time again. So that muscle memory of we're at ground zero, and now we need to build this thing out um, is definitely a huge value add for working with Jump Crew. And for us, it creates new challenges, but new learnings very quickly where we're, we're creating a custom game plan basically on a weekly basis. Well, I asked the question because certainly there's a lot of conversation that's taking place all increasingly online about rep compensation, seller compensation. And you're sort of describing a scenario, at least I know there's yeah, more nuance to it, but at least on the on the top level, that says, "Look, you know, here's we're creating this organization. We truly are enabling these sellers, and yeah, you because know, we are this professional sales organization, and yeah, you know, their maybe commission isn't the motivator to want to work here anymore. And we're going to make sure people are well paid for the work they're doing, but um, yeah, you know, they're not succeeding on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you hit on something too there, which really goes back." to our model, which is, you know, I described the balance of the digital side of Jump Crew's um, business mm-hmm. and, the, and the sales side, but really there's no sides. They, they're one and the same because when, when I explain what Jump Crew does, you can think about it as, you know, dedicated sales departments and all of the elements that are needed to make that sales department successful. And right. so as opposed to throwing a new salesperson the phone and saying go and them being expected to hit their quota, you know, we're constantly asking those questions around what kind of paid media support do they have? Do they have collateral, um, case studies, testimonials, ebooks, white papers, blog posts? What am I going to use in my toolkit to sell um, right. operationally? How am I going to navigate through my CRM? How am I going to track lead stages? How do I create an opportunity? What contract tool am I using? Um, so all of those questions, nuances, problems are all the things that you have to factor in when you're going to make a sales team successful and you can't just say, well, I hired a great rep and they're just going to go and they're going to make commission and they're going to be happy. No, right. that's not the way that it works. Yeah. Well, it just gets back to the question. If, uh, yeah. Depending on how, how, I don't want to say how well enabled. Cause I mean, I give an example is, you know, back in some startups I worked on 
you know, until we really had a repeatable process, yeah, sellers didn't get paid commission because, hey, it, it took a village <laughs> to sell everything, right? And it's not that they weren't good reps, but it just took a village. So everybody sort of figured it out. Uh, so we always had this period where sometimes it was two years, three years, depending on, you know, the type of deals we were selling and so on, where, yeah, people got very well compensated, but, you know, a salary and some bonus. But I, I think, I don't know, just my gut says we're going to see more evolution toward that in sales. Absolutely. And we're learning as we go. But, you know, I think at the core, when you find that sweet spot for a candidate who's looking for a combination of the opportunity, if they're in sales, I mean, let's be right. honest, they want to make money. Like that's, that's, that's key. So that's a given. Um, they're looking to work somewhere where they have the opportunity to build. Um, that's the way that I speak about Jump Crew in, in interviews mm -hmm. that I have is, you know, we're building something every single day. And as much as I can say, sure, we have a playbook for this, that, or the other thing, chances are pretty good that playbook's gonna look a lot different in a week, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of weeks. Um, so having the stomach to evolve and change and see the pieces slowly coming together, um, that mindset is critical here. So we look for people like that. Um, and then we talk about a sales culture. Um, it's definitely something that's been a huge priority for us, somewhere where you're, you can be humble enough to know that right. you're not going to knock it out of the park or to be told that you could do things better. Um, I know I hate hearing myself back on sales calls. I always hated it, but that's critical to our ability to coach and evolve yep. individual yep. reps. So iron sharpens iron. And, uh, you know, Jump Crew is certainly the place for, to, to, to do that. Excellent. That's very fascinating. I mean, I, again, I think. Um, as I said, I was researching it, just all sorts of thoughts triggering. Because, yeah, we, I think we're sort of at an inflection point in sales. Uh, we go through this every now and then, and we've been sort of in the, especially in the tech world, SaaS world, we've been sort of in this, down this path for the last 10, 15 years. And, yeah, it's kind of creaky and taking on water. And, um, yeah, we need to rethink how we're doing things. And, yeah, for some companies, this could be the answer, right? I, mean, I, I guess I had other examples. Yeah, a company I know that's a multi-billion-dollar-year company, revenue-wise, they have no sales function. There's no CRO. There's no VP of sales. You know, they bring people together, not dissimilarly. They bring people together for you know certain initiatives and campaigns they're doing and things that ultimately become sort of products. But you know, it's sort of oriented around the product, not a sales team, and they're hugely successful for that. You know, they sell massive, massive deals. Nobody in sales. Um, so it's not like there's one one solution, right? That's why I'm always fascinated to see about something like what you're doing and so on. Is just to force us to say, okay, think differently about this because, you know, we've been doing it basically the same way for 120 years and maybe it's time for a change. And, you know, my team's responsible for, for new business. We're the ones who have conversations with, you know, potential partners of ours and every single conversation they have they're deep in the weeds, understanding the problems that different companies are experiencing, um, things mm -hmm. that are working, macro trends that are having a significant impact on businesses. And so every call they have, whether it's a physical product, whether it's software, whether it's something completely different, we've sold th things all across the spectrum. My team's responsibility ultimately is to build out that game plan for how these two organizations are going to work together, set the expectations and draw a clear path to ROI. Um, at least as clear as it can be in, you know, speculative exercise. Um, and so their ability to help navigate those ever-changing waters of mm -hmm. what's evolving in the market, they're about as close to it as anybody yeah. can be simply by having those conversations every single day. Yeah. 
No, great training for those people. No doubt. It really is. Great training for them. Well, I love it. Okay. Well, Jaron, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure, Andy. Thank you so much. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there. Um, sometimes I'll post some silly learnings um, that we have as we go. I think I just put a post out there relatively recently about how we totally killed pitch decks. We don't use pitch decks anymore. Uh, so nice. I post about that stuff every so often. Um, and then they can certainly email me. I'm jvosberg at jumpcrew.com. I'm always responsive there and certainly love to, love to meet, talk, and learn. Um, but uh, yeah, those would be the best two places to grab me. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Jaron Fosberg, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement, with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.